Would you grab your seat and invite you to grab your Bible if you have one and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 9 through 13. And as you turn there, I just want to say how grateful I am to be here, my wife and I to be here with you guys. Uh, we love what is happening at this church. Uh, Jason and I, Pastor Jason Dees and I, first met at seminary. We were in seminary together. Barrett was there as well. Uh, and a number of others, and uh, just the way that God's continued to use him over the years has, has been incredible. And what is happening here is special, and I hope you guys appreciate it. But uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, we've got a lot of admiration, uh, and we're cheering hard for what's happening down here. Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus talking in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, it's an honor to be here tonight to talk about prayer and knowing the will of God. I'm so excited to talk about the topic that nobody else on your staff wanted to talk about. They not only didn't want to talk about it, they said they're going to leave the premises totally, go on a retreat so that I could be up here. So uh, excited to be up here talking about prayer. My guess is most of you, when you think about prayer, it's not on the top five list of things that like, you're like, man, Tuesday in Atlanta, let's, let's, are you going to hear about prayer tonight? For most of my Christian life, prayer was the last thing on the list. Now, I knew passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. I knew that Jesus prayed all the time. I knew that you read the book of Acts, they're praying all the time. And, and I know Jesus is, is teaching his disciples how to pray. When you read the Bible, it's hard to miss that, that prayer is all over the place. I, I've been a Christian for a long time. Uh, I, I've gone to seminary. I was pastoring a church. I had a PhD. I did not have much of a prayer life, and it didn't really bother me that much. And my guess is some of you might be in a similar position where you're not really, it just, it just doesn't seem to matter that much to you. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you are here tonight. And I hope it is worth your while. I love talking about prayer, not because I think people love hearing about prayer, but because God can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. And he loves to unleash his unlimited power on behalf of his undeserving people. Over and over in the scriptures, we see God flex in ways that are, are hard to wrap your mind around. And almost all of the time he does that, he does that in response to prayer. Jesus wants you to understand that there's a connection to, between your prayer life and his power and presence in your life. I love how you have talked in the last couple of weeks about uh, knowing God's will. is isn't about necessarily making you make better decisions. It's about, it's about joining you with Christ. It's about giving you a better relationship and experience with Christ while making better decisions along the way. I love helping people 
experience Jesus in all of his realness in their daily life, and there's no way I believe that that can happen than like prayer. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, once was asked a question about preaching and prayer, and he said he would rather teach one person to pray than 10 people to preach. It's the prince of preachers. It shocked his hearers. But Spurgeon had seen what so many others have seen, which is that God does things in response to prayer. And not only does he do things that wouldn't have happened without that prayer, the scriptures say you have not because you ask not. Now, some of the times you ask and it doesn't happen, but there's a category that I want you to think about when it comes to your life, that you have not because you ask not. Prayer is important because God wants to do things in your life, in your decision-making, in, in your problems, in your plans that wouldn't happen on your own. He wants to move you towards prayer. He uses your problems to move you towards prayer. He wants you to see him answer prayers in specific ways, in ways that stir your heart, that ultimately give you a greater sense of his presence in your life, in your problems, in your plans, not just theirs. Jesus wants us to know that there's an experience of him in prayer that you can't get through a lot of the other things that you might think you can get that experience. That's why Paul Miller said, one of my favorite quotes, he says, the praying life doesn't necessarily offer you a, a less busy life but it can offer you a less busy heart. And that's the prayer life that Jesus is wanting his disciples to understand when he's teaching them on the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. Now, before he hops into this passage, he tells them prayer isn't about public performance. He tells them, in fact, that, that prayer is not about informing the Father. He says, listen, the Father already knows what you need. He already knows what you're gonna ask. He's wanting them to understand that prayer is not about informing an uninformed God. It's about engaging our unengaged hearts. And he shows us in the Lord's prayer that in order to have the prayer life that he wants you to have, you don't have to become like super spiritually sophisticated. You just need to become more childlike. When I make my way through the Lord's Prayer, I come away with four statements that help me understand how I describe prayer. Now, there's a lot of great definitions about, about prayer out there, and I, I've, I've loved those, admired those, and a lot of times I even understood those from afar. But I would just say, here, here's the way I would, I would ask you to consider prayer. Pr prayer is just simply communicating to God about what you think is best. Communicating to God, whether verbally or just in your mind, about what you think is best. And I think that in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to see four statements that provide the principles that will set you up to have the prayer life Jesus wants you to have. And uh, I might hit a couple practical things at the very end um, that uh, will help us live this out, okay? And the first thing, first of the four things that you need to understand to have that childlike prayer life is that you need to believe God can do anything. Look in verse nine. Jesus starts out by saying, our Father in heaven. 
Jesus starts his instruction about prayer, not by talking about the different types of prayers we might find in the Psalms and other places that he was certainly familiar with, but he starts talking about the identity of God. And the reason he does that is because your view of God determines your practice of prayer. And your practice of prayer reveals your view of God. He says, I want you to think about God as a father. Why does he use that language of father? Well, it's not because it was popular at the time. At the time, it was not common to use father language in reference to God. R.T. France in his commentary observes, he says, the use of this intimate term for God was virtually unparalleled in first century Judaism. There was no songs about good, good father. There were no, uh, um, uh, the father language was not all over the place at that time. This was a unique thing. He's making a point. He wants you to understand when you think about prayer that you have a God who is willing to help you, who's willing to do what's best. But not only do you have a God who's willing to do what's best for you, he wants you to understand he's got a God who is able to do what's best for you. When he says you have a father in heaven, he's not trying to communicate distance, he's communicating competence. He's communicating to his disciples that when they pray, they're praying to the Psalm 115.3 God, who it was said, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. His power is unmatched. Egypt can't stop him. Babylon can't stop him. He wants to lift their view of God in order for them to have the prayer life that they need to have. He wants them to think about God like a kid thinks about his parents at that stage where they think that their parents can do anything. You ever, maybe ever in your life or had that experience? It usually doesn't last very long. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, we've got three kids. We've got, um, now they're 15, 13, and 11. But years ago, our oldest, Josiah, we were coming back from what could be loosely defined as baseball. And he was unusually quiet, which was really great. And we were coming home and we were just turning into the neighborhood. I'll never forget it. And he just kind of was laid back and he had, a, he had a smile on his face and he said, Dad, you threw the ball all the way from first base to third base in the air. And it's like from here to here, right? It's like that stage. And I was like, yeah? And he goes, is there anything you can't do? And he was serious. Now that didn't last very long. But that right there, that perspective, that heart, that's where Jesus wants you to live when you think about your heavenly father. You really have a father who can do anything, who can do anything, who can do everything, who can raise the dead, who can make things appear, who can split the Red Sea. Like he, he was elevating his disciples' view of God. Why? Because one of the major challenges to you and the, having the prayer life that God wants you to have is your view of God. Most of you, all, all of us every day, will struggle with unbelief. Unbelief is a low view of God. 
It could be a low view of his love. It could be a low view of his power. The reason why you didn't pray today, if you didn't pray, which usually is most Christians in most rooms, is because you just don't think he could help you. And for so long in my life, I, I was so complicating and overcomplicating the prayer thing. And it's like, yeah, the reason why we don't ask him to help us is because we don't think he can help us. It's that simple. We call the cable company and we're pretty sure they're not gonna help us. The reason why we don't appeal to God, that we don't set aside time before God in the morning or, or, or throughout the day is because we just don't think he'll help us, that he really will make any difference. You see how that, at a heart level, at a practical level, is saying, your God's not very big. If you're gonna have the kind of prayer life Jesus wants you to have, you have to understand, he wants to elevate your view of God. Paul Miller, in one of my favorite books on prayer, A Praying Life, said, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. What's your prayer life say about your God? If you're gonna have the kind of prayer life that Jesus wants you to, to have, you need to believe he can do anything. But if Jesus doesn't wanna just change our view of God, he wants us to think about our own identity. If we have a father who is in heaven who will help us with anything and everything, things like daily bread, that means we're at the stage of childhood where we need thing, help with things like our daily bread. This would have been a shot to the pride of the people listening there on the side of that hill in the Sea of Galilee. And it's intentional because pride doesn't pray. Pride doesn't pray. Pride thinks, today I'll be more productive as I try to carry out my plans, as I try to solve my problems, if I just get to work rather than involve this God of the Bible. One of the big questions that you'll hear every once in a while is, hey, how, you know, do you struggle with pride? Like, yeah, but it's kind of this elusive thing. The number one area that you can kind of get a feel for how you're doing in your battle against pride is your prayer life. Because pride doesn't pray. It doesn't think it needs to ask for help. Jesus wants them to understand that they they need to embrace their childlike identity. They need to believe God can do anything, and then they need to embrace their childlike identity at that very dependent age. He's taking a shot at their pride. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said, if you wanna judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought, that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Does your prayer life show that you've embraced your childlike identity? Most of us, it's a challenging word, but here's the great thing about embracing your childlike identity. It doesn't just mean you're dependent, 
because you're at the stage where you need help with things like daily bread, like Jesus teaches us here in this passage, it also means you can be bold. No one is bold towards parents like kids. My guess this is true of all of you, it's certainly true of all of our kids, that at some point in their childhood, they busted in the door in our bedroom in the middle of the night, woke us up for whatever it was, right? Anybody ever do that? Everybody remember doing something like that? I've never met any kid, I've never met any parent who has kids who ever had a kid do that and be like, I'm so sorry. I, I know you've had a long day. And I know it's Saturday night, Dad, and you're preaching tomorrow, but I can't find my night-night. Never happened. You know what they do? They either bust open, right? That door just, it just wakes you up, you know, kind of thing. Or you ever get, you just get the breath like right there, <laughs> right? And when they're sick, it's even better. I'll never forget. They just roll in there and they're like, I can't find my night-night. You're like, oh, okay. And, and let's just say I went in there, which I, I, I may have been pretending to be asleep, but like we go in. And there it is, right on the bed, right next to where they were. Right, they couldn't do this. They do that. They, they, they come all the way in, wake us up, right? No big deal. And they hop, oh, the night night, and they hop in there, and they're not like, my bad, that's on me, that's that's on me. <laughs> they just go to bed. Okay, all right. Kids are bold. If you tried to do that to me, I would shoot you in my house. Kids can be bold towards their parents. God's saying, I want you to think that way with me. When it comes to your prayer life, I want you to be bold. I want you to, I want, he's interested in a real relationship with you, which means he really wants to talk to to you about the things that are on your mind, not the stuff you're pretending in your prayer life to be interested in because you think it might gain the kind of thing that could lead to the thing you really want. He's saying, come to me. Let the kids come to me. Over and over and over, over the past eight years or so, I've seen grown Christian men and women who have been following the Lord faithfully for years ask some questions that are along the lines of this. Like, do you think I can ask God about this? Yeah. What about I'm trying to decide on a job thing. Like, yeah. Like, what kind of parent would you think I would, if I, if, if I was like, listen, my kids rolled up here, we were part of this church, and you see them interacting, and they ask me a question, like, I don't want to talk to you about anything but church, the Bible, and evangelism. You'd think, not much of a great dad over here. And I'm nothing compared to your heavenly father. He wants to talk to you about everything. He never gets like parents, human parents can get with their kids, which is just kind of like, I just need need a break. He never needs a break from you. He's not tired of hearing it the 5,000th time. Jesus says, listen, you want to have the prayer life that I want you to have? You don't need to get more spiritually sophisticated. You need to become more childlike. Where you have a God who, who can do everything 
who can control bosses, who determine pay grades, who, who uh, 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 are in charge of things that you're, you're worried about, who can control rooms where people might be talking about you or where dis- disappointment might come, who can orchestrate relationships so that you marry a person at just the right time, who, who can do anything. And he wants you to be a kid who can just come to him and talk to him about everything. Jesus starts his teaching on prayer by elevating their view of God and by lowering their view of themselves. It's the complete opposite of what we're naturally prone to do. When you wake up in the morning, you've got a high view of yourself typically and a low view of God. Jesus gives you a daily prayer to flip that. This is where prayer starts or stops for you, whether you realize it or not. Your prayer life reveals your belief about who God is and who you are. But of course, Jesus doesn't stop there. We see him in verses nine through 13, show them that they need to specify their requests. Specify their requests. He says famously, hallowed be your name. Your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, provision prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is speaking to relational realities. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here Jesus provides at least six different specific things that he wants us to pray, that each actually are a reminder of our calling each day. They're storylines that are, are meant to make up our story. He, he tells us that we need to pray for God's name to be hallowed, for his character to be uh, uh, treated the way it should be treated in our hearts, in our city, in our church, in our, in our workplace, in our school, in our apartment complex. That we're praying heaven would come to earth, that his kingdom would come, his will would be done. We're praying for bread and provision. We're praying for relational realities and for help in the midst of this spiritual war that we are finding ourselves in. And oftentimes we read these things and we think, well, we should just repeat these things. And it's totally fine to repeat those things. But it's important to remember at the very beginning, Jesus says, pray like this. It's totally fine to repeat these things. But what he's doing here is he's providing them, I think, at least three specific prayer pathways that you can use once you get past the the low view of God and high view of yourself problem. The first thing is, is that if you want to have the prayer life that Jesus wants you to have, you need to pray your Bible. You need to pray your Bible. How do you know when God's name has been hallowed? The Bible tells us. How do you know when his kingdom has come in your heart and other people's hearts in this area, in your church, in your your family or whatever? The Bible tells us what it looks like for the kingdom to come and what it looks like for darkness to be there. He's showing us here that we need to pray his word. We need to pray the Bible, which means we don't just read, be holy as I'm holy, and then go try to be holy as best we can. We add one more step. God, help me be holy. Your whole Bible that you have there is that is a prayer list. 
So I don't know what to pray. Whatever you read, the Psalms are filled with prayers that you can pray. I mean, over and over in my own life, I'm usually got, always got a foot in the Psalms and I'll come across something and be like, that, that, that's my prayer. And I'll just pray that over and over. He wants you to pray your Bible. Not just the prayers in the Bible. When you do that, you'll never run out of material. Of course, we don't stop there. We also pray our problems. Verse nine, the reason we pray that God's name would be hallowed is because his name is not hallowed. That's a problem. The reason we pray that the kingdom would come and his will would be done is because the kingdom's not here and his will's not being done. That's a problem. The reason that we pray for bread is because we've got a provision problem. We pray about uh, relational realities because there are relational problems. All of these things are prayers that are initiated by your problems. When you learn to pray your problems, you learn how to follow what Paul's saying when he says pray unceasingly. I remember reading that growing up thinking, how in the world do you do that? Like, we got stuff to do. And I was like six. You can pray without ceasing because you have unceasing problems. Real and just perceived or imagined. All day long, I'm thinking of things and problems as a leader of a church and just in life and all the different things. And when you have those, you just pray those on-the-go things like Nehemiah in different places in the scriptures where they, they, just, they, they were confronted with something, they prayed that problem. When you learn to pray your problem, you learn to pray all day, every day. You don't have to like try hard and be super spiritual and I'm gonna go. It's just like you start talking to God about the problems in your life. But you don't stop there, you pray your plans. The assumption in this prayer is that every child of God is about their father's business, wherever he places you. As Christians, we share a general call. All of us are called to be holy, not just some of us. But we all have particular callings that are a part of that general calling where we carry out those things that we share. Some of us are called to be pastors. Some of us are called to be doctors. Some of us will be called any number of things. The assumption is, is that wherever you are, you're advancing the kingdom. He's gonna say in a few verses, seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying the reason you exist, that he has breath in your lungs is so that you would advance the kingdom and that you're praying for God's help to do that. When he talks about daily bread, he wasn't just... Bread didn't just appear back then. They didn't just run over to Publix. That was like a three to five hour process. There's someone in that room when they're praying for daily bread who's like, I'm the one doing it. They're praying their plans. You think about Stephen Covey's rolls to goals. Just turn them into rolls to prayer goals. What is the outcome you want to see? Jesus provides here three different pathways that can help you have that daily prayer life that he wants you to have. We pray our Bibles, we pray our problems, we pray our plans. He's wanting them to get specific when they do. And this is so important. God wants you to get specific with your prayers because when you get specific, you give the invisible God an opportunity to become visible in your life in a way you wouldn't without that specific prayer. At our church, we talk about how specificity leads to visibility. 
Specificity leads to visibility. When you get specific, what it is you think is best, by when, you give him an opportunity to become visible in your life in a way he wouldn't without that specificity. Abraham and Sarah were asking for a son. They knew whether God answered that prayer, yes or no. The Israelites in Egypt were crying out for deliverance. They knew whether God answered that prayer, yes or no. All throughout scripture in the New Testament, whenever Peter's one night away from being executed and their Christians are gathered in a home together trying to pray their friend out of jail, they knew whether God answered that prayer, yes or no. Specificity leads to visibility. We've seen that in our own lives over and over and over again. We have thousands of specific answers to prayer. One of my favorites was uh, a few years ago, our church was, um, I don't know, we're about six years into our church plant, and we were needing, we're trying to find a piece of property. We were in negotiations with a guy whose property I used to work on as a farm way back in the day, and uh, he wanted us to buy a lot of land, and we didn't want to buy a lot of land because we didn't have any money, and it was just this back and forth that I thought, this is never going to end. I'd never forget just writing down these prayer cards in my Evernote. And I just said, God, will you make him give us his land? On October 4th, I remember this. God, would you just make him give us his land? And we kept on having conversations, and it was kind of, we'd go out there once a week and talk. He's a great guy, one of my spiritual heroes, but it was going, going nowhere. And then nine months later, I'll never forget sitting at his table in his house. And I'm saying, you know what? How about you buy the small amount of acreage that you, you wanted to buy and then we'll give you this other amount of land over here. That way we're not worried about you getting landlocked. So we bought 7.6 acres and he gave us 23.3 acres in one of the richest counties in America. Now, that would have been an awesome moment without praying. But the fact that I've been praying that imperfectly, but somewhat consistently for the past nine months, when that kind of thing happens, the answer to the prayer really doesn't even matter. You're just like, God's here. He really does care. He really does help with my problems and my plans. It was a sentence fragment. It doesn't take great prayers to see great things happen. It just takes a great God. And of course, we've seen this over and over in our church's life, but I know what you're thinking. Oh yeah, he probably answers church prayer requests a little bit better than the ones that I'm going through. Not true. We've seen people who pray, God, would, we can't really afford a vacation this year. Could you just make one appear and by maybe the end of next week? And some crazy things happen and they got what they prayed for. And again, in that moment, it's not like, oh, is this like some genie thing? No, no, like it's, it's a, from a sincere place of we're in a tough place financially, you're praying this thing, and it happens, and they're like, it's the goose, it's the sense of like God's here. Like he still wants to do things in the 21st century in Atlanta. He still wants to do things in people's lives like you, and he knows what you've done. That's why he sent his son to die for you. 
He wants you to get specific. And it doesn't always have to be this really great specific thing. I'll never forget one of my, one of my uh, <clears throat> family that was in our church. This is a good old boy. When this guy talks, it makes me sound like I'm from Boston. He started a bunch of businesses over the years. Good businessman, just sounds like he is from the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. And he was in one of those things, when you start a business, sometimes some of you have done this, know like you, what you make, you put back into the business, right? And you're trying to get that thing going. And, and it, it was taking longer than they thought, got a lot of kids, and there's a lot of, a lot of things. And so he, he sold his truck to make ends meet. His wife was driving him to work. First world problem, but still an issue. And in the middle of uh, one of our uh, months where we'd encourage people to make a top 10 prayer list, top 10 prayers that you're gonna pray together as a family or individually this year, he put on there, I'm praying for a truck. God, I want you to give me a truck. Not too long after that, our neighbors, were about four houses down from him, moved back to California, but they're just gonna be there a couple years. This dude has like the biggest, baddest truck you've ever seen. He says, and he went over to this guy, I had no idea he was praying this. He said, hey, will you, will you drive my truck for the next couple of years? I just, if, I, here's the deal. You mow my grass while I'm gone, you can drive this truck. It's like an $80,000 truck. My friend said yes. He went home, and one of the toughest guys I know wept like a baby before his kids. Not so much about the truck. It's about the fact that God was there in his house providing something like a truck. And those kinds of moments happen not because he's perfect or I'm perfect or anybody's. It's, it's because we have a great God and he loves to delight his children. Most people, though, don't pray specifically. They don't say, God, I would love, sincerely, I would love to have this by this. And it, and it may not be a thing. It could be, could you give me wisdom on whether or not to move forward with this guy or girl that I'm dating, or should we end this? A lot of times it's got, I don't, I don't even know what to ask, but could you, could you show me by the end of the week how to start praying about this? Over and over throughout the years, God, would you encourage me in some unexpected way by the end of the day? It's amazing how many times I'll just get a text message from someone I've never heard. God, would you show me which job to take? Should I stay here? Would you just give me a sense that I'm on the right track by the end of the month? I mean, it's, it's just... When you do that, we'll talk here in just a second. Most of the time, most of my prayer requests do not happen. And we're gonna talk about that here in just a second. But when they do, man, there's nothing like it. And it's not even about the thing. It's about having a sense of God's presence in your problems, in your plans. Most people, sadly, aren't specific in their prayers. They struggle from what I call the vague prayer syndrome. You know what the vague prayer syndrome is? Lord, be with us today. Guess what? He is. And that's okay to pray that. 
But nobody ever had that childlike faith stirred in them when, by someone saying, you'll never believe this. This morning, we woke up, we were kind of halfway asleep, but we were at this the church, like this small group thing, so we figured someone should pray, and they said, Lord, be with us today, and he was. No one's like, oh, wait, say that again? Fake prayer syndrome. Lord, bless his food. Amen. He blessed it. Right? No one gets stirred by that. It's okay to pray that. I did this one time in a sermon, went out to eat with my family, and I, that's what I prayed. I wasn't even thinking. My kids are like, big prayer syndrome. <laughs> it's okay. Just don't let that be all you do. Get specific. Write it down. Does he always answer the prayers? No. So what do you do with those unanswered prayers? Last statement. Trust God to do what's best with your request. Trust God to do what's best with your request. How should our prayer end? Well, Jesus ends abruptly there. He doesn't say in Jesus' name. And I don't think we want to say he made a mistake here. But I think the important thing to understand that he's emphasized, it's not about the wording, it's about the posture. It's not about the order, it's about the elements. When you understand who you're talking to in prayer, it enables you to walk out of that prayer without the burden you brought into it. Several years ago, I came home from a long day of work and I had the mails in the kitchen and I was kind of playing around with it, you know, and, and, and I heard in the next room, someone go, ow, I'm telling. And so I hear the march to justice, right? You just hear the stomping. They come in, dad, so-and-so hit me. And I said, I'll take care of it. Turn around, self-righteously, chest sticking out I, over here. Dad said he's going to take care of it. That kid didn't know when I would take care of it. That kid didn't know how I would take care of it. That kid didn't know, frankly, if I would take care of it. All he knew was who. And that enabled him to walk out of the conversation without the burden he brought into it. And when you pray to God, the God who's in the heavens, who does whatever he pleases, the God who's the father who always does what's best for his kids. When you pray to that God, you need to remember that so that when you offer up, this is what I think would be best. You trust him to do what's best with your request. And when you trust him, it enables you to walk out of that conversation without the burden you brought into it. I hear all the time from people, man, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, but I, I'm still anxious. I'm still, feel, I'm still worried. I'm still, they haven't trusted him yet. They don't trust him yet. The way that Paul Miller can say that quote that I said at the very beginning where he said, praying life doesn't offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. That's a heart that trusts him. But most of us don't trust him. We want to micromanage him. And we say, God, listen, I know you're all the things, but there's no way that this can be what's best for me. And what we're saying in that moment is, we don't trust you. And it's not always going to be easy. Remember Jesus, three times later in the book of Matthew in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked God to do something. And three times he got a no. 
Jesus got to know. Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, skipping down. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Three times, Jesus was told no. Why was he told no? Jesus was told no in the Garden of Gethsemane so that he could say yes to you when you called out for salvation in your sin. Jesus goes to the cross and drinks the cup of God's judgment so that he can extend to you the cup of God's grace. Jesus, the son of God, is treated like the enemy of God on the cross so that the enemies of God could be treated like children of God in Christ. Jesus prays and gets a no. He goes to the cross. He comes back from the grave. And now we know every single person that prays, Jesus, save me, will get a yes to that answered prayer. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you asked him to be your savior? Have you asked him to be your Lord? Have you repented and surrendered your life? He's got enough grace for you. But when you receive that salvation and when you're walking in the spirit like you learned this past week, you need to understand the pattern of the cross. It's not just about purchasing your salvation. It's also a reminder that many times that the no's that we get from God won't make sense until after the resurrection. And you may not have this in your life, but at some point you will. There will be things in your life, most likely, where you will not understand how in the world it can be what's best for you. And it won't make sense until the resurrection. In those moments, the battle's going to be, do I trust him or am I going to micromanage him? He says, come to me, pray to me. But as you do it, remember You've got to trust him to do what's best with your request. Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to keep on pressing in, to keep on praying? Jesus wants his listeners to understand that in order to have the prayer life that he wants them to have, they don't need to get more sophisticated. They need to become more childlike. They need to believe God can do everything. They need to embrace their childlike identity. They need to specify their requests and they need to trust God to do what's best with their requests. Those are the principles that I think can drive the prayer life he wants for you. Practically, just very quickly, here's what I want to encourage you to do as you pray. And this is harder than you think, but first, clarify the specific outcome you're praying for. Clarify the specific outcome you're praying for and write it down. I'm the worst journaler on the face of the planet. My wife has complete senses. I look like I'm writing my journal while a pack of wild wolves are attacking me. But write it down so that you can review it consistently. The yeses and the noes. I, I write something down. One specific prayer a day is the best way to keep this thing going. You don't do it, need to do a trillion. Just one specific prayer a day. Second, Remind yourself that you don't know what's best. 
I do this all the time. Remind yourself, you don't know what's best for you. You can't just talk to God. You gotta talk to yourself if you want to have the prayer life God has once for you. Number three, invite others to pray with you. Specificity leads to visibility. It's more fun in community. Next, review past prayers consistently. Whether it's weekly or quarterly, and then finally remember that Jesus and the Spirit are praying for you. When you can't find the words, know that they are praying for you. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Jesus praying in the next room, I would not fear 10,000 enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He's praying for me. Jesus wants you to pray, but he wants you to know that his good purposes for you don't depend on your prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us in Christ to make it possible for us to know and be saved by Christ. God, I pray for those who might not have received your salvation, that they would make today the day of their salvation, that they would cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I pray for all of us who have already been adopted into your family, who have already received your amazing grace. Would you help us see the areas where we need to grow in childlike prayerfulness? Would you help us to catch a vision for what might could be if we simply start asking you in prayer for help with our problems and our plans? Would you enable people to start writing prayers? Would you answer a specific prayer for every person that prays specifically in this next week? God, most of all, we pray that you'd give us a greater sense of your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name.